0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from Ephesians 3 7 through 13. The Word of God speaks to us. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the internal purpose that he was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This is the God's word to us.
1: Hey guys, good morning. Hey, if uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Josh Curry. I'm one of the pastors here, and This is a really important moment in the life of our church. We're walking through Rhythms of Grace. And the big idea behind this sermon series is that we wanted to take some time this summer and just unpack the ways in which God forms us with habits that help us to mature and grow as Christians the ways in which we experience the grace of God that deepens us and grows us. These habits of grace or these rhythms of formation are all over the Bible. And so a few weeks ago, we did the first week and we looked at the difference between God's invitation for us to seek out ancient paths of formation on the narrow way of Jesus and how that's really different than just drifting through life, getting sucked onto the super highways of false worship of the world. Then the second week, Chad Kinzer came and he preached on what is perhaps the most important rhythm of grace, reading God's word that we don't read God's word to get God to love us, but we read God's word to know the voice of our father, to know his love for us, to be shaped and deepened so that we can live lives of wisdom in the midst of the world. And then last week, my buddy, Kevin Colley, I hope you guys loved him. He's one of my best friends. He preached on fasting and uh, I've heard great reports from that. So let me tell you where we're going today and then I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna dive in. Today, we're talking about membership in the local church as a rhythm of grace. Membership in the local church as a way in which God forms us over time to look more like Jesus. And so I'm gonna pray for you guys and ask you to pray for me and we're gonna dive in. Hey Father, um, in the midst of all the things of eternal significance that we should thank you for, I also wanna say thank you for a cold front. (laughs) Thank Thank you for relief from the heat. Thank you for the things that you're doing in the world and in this room. And uh, Lord, it's not lost on me that there is resistance and pushback anytime we talk about the local church. And much of that is rooted and grounded in deep, deep hurt and disappointment. And so I pray that today would be a moment where you come and father us. Thank you that you're not just our father, but you father. You father as a verb. And I pray that your fatherly presence and your goodness and your love for your son and your love for your son's church would lead us in response to love your church. So help us and feed us and teach us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, if you got a Bible, you can find Ephesians chapter three. We're going to be there in just a second. A couple years ago, I had this really funny experience with some buddies from out of town. Um, They were super hyped up about a restaurant. And so I'm always game for food. They were like, dude, this is the best chicken we've ever had in our entire life. You're going to love it. It's going to blow your mind. No questions asked. Chicken, I'm in. I get in the car and these jokers pull up to Raising Cane's. (laughs) Raising Cane's. And it's not that I hate Raising Cane's because my philosophy is that chicken fingers are kind of like Mark Wahlberg movies. Like you're not gonna find many great ones, but they're all pretty good. They're all pretty good. And so we, we go to raisin Cane's and we eat and you know, it's, it's Raising Cane's. It's just chicken fingers. It's just by a few degrees better than what we were served on Fridays at high school lunch cafeterias. Um, And here's what I started thinking about this week, that sometimes the disconnect between God's vision for the church, the way he talks about the church in the Bible with these metaphors that are full of color and beauty and passion and power, and the way that we experience the local church in all of her frailty and imperfections and the institutional mistakes that we make, can kind of feel like that kind of gap. It's almost like the local church feels sometimes like a reverse prism. So God has this beautiful vision for what the church is. He calls the church the bride of Christ, which means that we're to be the people that respond to God's pursuit in Jesus, God's love in Jesus, people of passion for Christ, And then all of a sudden that color, that light passes through the prism of the local church. And what we experience often is not deep devotion and fidelity and life, but it's often a people that are joyless. So you have like God's vision for the church to be the temple of God, which should amaze us. That God's temple is not a building. It's not made with brick and stone. That the temple of God, God's address on planet earth is a house made of living stone. People full of the Spirit of God. And that should amaze you that the church is to be the address of God on planet Earth. People of presence and people of the power of God where God's showing up and moving. And then that color passes through the prism of the local church. And sometimes what we experience is powerlessness. We experience dryness. And sometimes the local church feels brittle and it feels like it's in a drought. Or you get God's vision for the church to be the body of Christ. And we've heard that so many times that sometimes we're not amazed by it. But let that amaze you. That the body of Christ is the church. Meaning we're added to Jesus by grace through faith, filled with the spirit of God to become the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. I mean, read the stuff that Jesus did in the New Testament. Jesus runs funerals by raising people from the dead. He sits with sinners. He brings hope to the hopeless. He pushes back darkness. He confronts evil. And then sometimes the beauty of that vision passes through the prism of the local church, and we see throughout our history that sometimes we don't feel like the hands and feet of Jesus. Sometimes we bite and devour each other, and we're being, We're constantly tempted towards division and backbiting and gossip, and we often don't move towards the darkness with the light of the gospel, but we retreat from the darkness. And what can start to happen in the midst of what feels like a paradox of God's lofty, huge vision for the local church and our experience of the local church when we actually get together and it's not what we hoped it would be and it's frustrating and disappointing leads many of us to make some big decisions. And they're not the kind of decisions that you make by like whiteboarding them out. They're decisions that your heart just carries you into. For some of us, our response to the paradox is cynical withdrawal, cynical withdrawal. And I get it, man. Sometimes when you've been disappointed and hurt many times, cynical withdrawal feels like self-preservation. It's a way to not get disappointed again, to not put yourself out there, to not get hurt anymore. For others, we respond to the paradox with idealistic stagnation. Idealistic stagnation, meaning like, hey man, if I can't find the perfect, I'll just sit around and wait because I'm not gonna participate with anything less than my snapshot of what the church should be. I get that, I planted this church in uh, 2005 with an idealistic snapshot of what it would be. It's not looked like that snapshot for five minutes in the last 17 years. I get it, it could be frustrating. For some of us, we respond to the paradox by just being consumers that bounce from church to church to church. So this church is no longer feeding me, so I'm going to try this one. Or we do like this really weird, it's almost like an intramural sport in the Midwest where like we don't belong anywhere, but we just like the preaching here and the worship here and the kids ministry here. And so we have this ecclesial buffet that we sample at, but we're not really connected or known anywhere. For others, we just practice theoretical evasions of being a part of the local church at all. There was a big ministry in OKC for years that kind of sucked in some of the younger members of our church. And their whole platform for this ministry was like, the local church is not important because we're all a part of the capital C church. And like the problem with that is it's in the local church where all those beautiful realities of the capital C church get fleshed out and impress us. And what I've seen for so many of those young people is that being a part of that kind of ministry became an exit interview for the Christian faith. Like, they're no longer walking with Jesus, most of them, because it became theoretical instead of fleshed, incarnate reality. What I want to do today for just a few minutes is I want to ask the question, what if, what if it's not a contradiction to hear God's lofty vision for the church with those metaphors, and then to experience the frailties, failings, and weakness of this thing called the local church. What if that's not a contradiction at all, but what if the present reality of the local church with all of her imperfections and weaknesses is actually a way that God's vision for the church both pulls us forward in growth and in maturity, but also encourages us in the moment. What if the metaphors for the church tells us what the church is going to be when we get to glory and we see Jesus face to face and we're no longer so prone to wander? But what if God's metaphors for the church also tell us what the church is, even when it doesn't feel big and flashy and exciting and powerful and full of revival? In fact, what I want you to see is that this is the moment in our series on Rhythms of Grace, As we talk about spiritual formation, this is the moment where our spiritual formation collides with our understanding of the church. And the stakes are really high because here, when our spiritual formation meets our understanding of the local church and what it means to be members and participants in the local church, you're either gonna have a life of stagnation and regression where you're more immature in a year or you're going to have a deepening and a progression in your obedience to Jesus. Because what I would argue is that you're not going to mature and grow over the long haul as a Lone Ranger Christian disconnected from the local church, even with all of her warts and wrinkles. You need God's people, and God's people need you, and covenant membership in the local church might not give you all the things that you dreamed it would give you. It might, in fact, give you a bunch of things that you don't even think that you want, but that your father really thinks that you need. And that's kind of like the covenant marriage, right? Like, I mean, there was a short list of things that I was really excited about with marriage when I got married as a 20-year-old man. Uh, I, you can guess what were the things at the top of the list. Uh, it also included companionship and activities and, you know, moving out of my apartment that had only a weight bench and a mattress on the ground and to become a civilized human being, right? Those are the things I was excited about. Let me tell you what I was not anticipating and excited about. I did not anticipate that marriage was going to confront me with just how deep my addiction to work was gonna damage the people around me. I didn't know that was coming for me. I I didn't know that getting married was going to confront me with just how much the brokenness of my family of origin had made me protect myself because of a shame worldview that made me really scared of intimacy. I didn't know that was coming for me. I I didn't know that being married was going to confront me with just how selfish I am and entitled I am. Those are not things that I signed up for on our wedding day. But in the midst of getting married, that covenant that covenant, actually draws out of you and meets you in the places of your life where you really need the grace of God and the power of God to help you repent and deepen and grow and to stop acting like a child. And the same exact thing is true of the local church. So what I wanna to do today is I wanna give you seven things, seven point sermon, because seven is the biblical number of completion. I'm just kidding, total joke. Um, I want to give you seven things, and I want to talk about seven things that, that membership in the local church does for you, and most of the seven things, in fact, I think five of the seven are not things that you even want. They're not things that you're looking forward to. They're not things that you're excited about. If you were to hire a church growth consultant, they would not put any of these seven things on a billboard, but they're seven things that you desperately need for your spiritual formation. So here we go, and I'm going to go really fast through these. Number one, the first thing you get by being a member of the local church is the gift of disillusionment. You're welcome. The gift of disillusionment. Look at verse 7 of Ephesians 3. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Okay, in this one little passage where Paul's talking about the church as a sermon that reveals the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers, to powerful beings. Here's what we see, that Paul's entrance into the church and the people of God's entrance into the church is not an entrance based on pedigree or morality or religious ritual or being better people than the rest of the world. Entrance into the church is through the grace of God. It's by faith in Jesus That we receive the wonders of God's grace, which is undeserved favor. It's not our due, it's God's gift. And so at every turn, what Paul wants to say is that being a part of the local church confronts you with the reality of your ideal self being a joke and your demands for other people to be perfect being equally a joke. Therefore, membership in the local church will strip you of your illusions. The illusions you have of yourself, the ideal Christian self that you want to project, which, by the way, you can maintain if your participation in the local church is only sporadic attendance on a Sunday morning. But if you really start doing life with people, if you start confessing sin, if you start to build spiritual friendship, if you start to engage in mission, if you really participate in the life of the church, here's what's gonna happen. Your ideal Christian self's gonna fall apart and people are gonna see just how badly you need God's grace to become a Christian and also to stay a Christian. They're gonna realize your frailty, your sin, your brokenness. In addition, you know what you're gonna find in the local church? Other fellow jacked up people that tend to break everything that's beautiful. True story, because that's what human beings do. Sin is the propensity to mess everything up, to hurt people, to lash out, to break things that we shouldn't break. And what starts to happen in membership in the local church is you put all these sinners in need of grace into a community, and you tell them that they're supposed to relate to each other based on the finished work of Jesus, not performance, and here's what you find. Like, oh man, we really need God's grace all the time. You know what else? you'll find the gift of disillusionment in. Participation in the local church will also confront your false ideals of God. Ways, and we, ways that you and me think that our performance or giving puts God in our debt or that you can give God a timeline. Hey, God doesn't give a riff about my timelines or the ways that you think that you could place demands on God, or that you can sort of trim the edges of God and make God a designer God in your own image, membership in the local church is going to confront you with the illusion you have of yourself, the illusion you have of other people, and the illusion you have of God. And that's actually a gift because real faith begins when the illusions fall apart. (laughs) Moses, or excuse me, Abraham, who's described as the father of faith, Hebrews tells us, had to reckon with the deadness of his body in Sarah's womb before he became the father of faith. Meaning, he wasn't just doing positive thinking. God didn't come to him and say, hey, you guys are gonna have a baby. It's gonna be this awesome gift. And then Abraham was like, well, of course I'm gonna have a baby. We're like 100 years old. That's naturally what's gonna take place. No, like he had to acknowledge and name the fact, apart from the miraculous movement of God, this is impossible. And that's what happens in the local church. We get given the gift of reality. And even in the ugliness of reality, you know what we get? The presence and mercy of God to forgive and to grow us and to deepen us and to show us just how valuable we are to him that he sent his son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. And then we get to learn to give that to each other. Number two, second thing that you're dying for, uh, especially if you're a driven person, uh, any athletes in the room, you're going to love this one. You get the gift of being weak. You get the gift of being weak. One of Nietzsche's great criticisms of the church is that the church was full of women and slaves. He thought that was a criticism. That's not a criticism for a Christian. That's actually a powerful statement. Look what Paul says in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of my effort and intellect. No, man, look what he says. By the working of his power. See, here's the crazy thing about the apostle Paul. Like, he was gritty, he was determined, he suffered a lot, but here's what you find in the writings of St. Paul. St. Paul never repents of weakness. St. Paul repents of sin and he actually boasts in his weakness. Here's what you find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He pleads with God 3 times to take away what he described as the thorn in his flesh. And, and God answers him and he says to him, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to write, therefore, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here's what you'll find in the local church. It, and again, not, not if you think that the local church is a Sunday event alone that you just show up to consume, but the second that you take the one another commands of God seriously, that we're to be present with one another, that we're to mourn with one another, that we're to encourage one another, that we're to rebuke one another, that we're to lift up one another, that we're to honor one another, that we're to use our gifts in serving one another, that we're to use our gifts to push back darkness in the world by telling people the good news of Jesus and by meeting the needs of those that are suffering. The second that you start to engage, here's what you're gonna find your best efforts at doing that in your own power are gonna fall woefully short of the chasm of human need all around you. Like your ability to be present with somebody that just lost a child and to know how to sit there and be there, like that's not something you do just by trying to work yourself up. Your ability, your ability to go towards each other when you want to run from each other, that's not something that's just based on human strength. Those are places where you're introduced to just how frail and weak you are so that the power of God can reside upon you. If you engage the local church as a true member, as a part of the body of Christ, you'll be confronted all the time with how your best efforts are not enough and how you need God. And listen, that's actually a really powerful place to be. And, and some of you are there today, even in your marriages I suspect that like you're trying to just will yourself into deeper friendship and communion with your spouse. And what I want to say is like in the moment where you realize that your strength is spent and you don't have anything left, you're actually starting to awaken to the reality of the very presence and power of God to meet you in the midst of your weakness with his goodness and with his grace and with his ability. You get to be weak. Thirdly, this is something that everybody loves You get to fail and need grace. You get to fail. Welcome to Frontline Church. You get to fail. Look what Paul says, or look, you can look at it later. I don't have time to go there right now. But in Romans 7, it's implicit in our text because he's talking about grace, but it's explicit in Romans 7. That's that crazy place where Paul's like, wretched man that I am, who will free me from this body of sin? And what you have is the Apostle Paul, he's basically like pouring out his guts For the church in Rome, it's almost like he's letting them see the inside of his journal or his diary with his baffling struggle against sin. And he's like, man, why do I keep doing the very thing that I hate? And then Romans 8 hits and he starts praising God for the saving work of Jesus on the cross. Here's what I want you to see. Because we enter into the body of Jesus by grace through faith... And because we're all sinners by nature and choice, we are a community of people. We're a community of people that are at the same time sinners and saints. We have a new identity, but we still sin. Our sin nature still exists. We're still fallen. We're still messed up. We're still prone to wander. And therefore what's gonna happen in the local church is you're gonna blow it a lot. You're gonna have to repent a lot and apologize a lot in your community. That's why every single week on this screen, we have a moment in our service of confession and assurance. Because it's not theoretical. Like, Phil is not like, well, man, I wonder if we should do confession and assurance this week. You know, maybe someone sinned. Like, no. Like, hey, man, there's a few guarantees. There's a few absolute money-back guarantees. And that's that literally every person in this building needs a prayer of confession and assurance every Sunday and that's a gift. It's a gift to realize that you enter into a relationship with the Father through the finished work of the Son by grace, and you continue in that relationship by grace, and you finish it by grace. Number four, this one's really fun. This is some of your guys' favorite thing to do. This is where the church becomes a party. You also get to be failed and give grace. You get to be failed and give grace. Look what he says in verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Hey, that verse right there has a lot of history with it, a lot of history with it. He's saying, hey, man, um, as you're looking at my suffering and my weakness in the flesh, what Paul is saying is don't lose heart. Please don't be another church, another group of Christians that move away from me because you're ashamed of what I'm going through. Because here's what Paul's had happen to him again and again and again. He's had a groups of churches that he's planted, that he's loved, that he's been a spiritual father for. And all of a sudden they decide, we want somebody that's more impressive than this guy. We want super apostles. We want better orators. We want people that look really strong and have it all put together. And Paul is suffering profoundly in obedience to Jesus, and he's been rejected at so many turns. But what you read in this verse is not bitterness, it's not cynicism, it's not like a preemptive rejection. Paul's not like, hey, I'm gonna break up with you guys before you can hurt me. No, Paul, Paul knows that his identity and his calling and his forgiveness and his love for the church is not based on whether or not the Christians at Ephesus reject him or not, it's based on the finished work of Jesus. So he's able to be hurt and wounded and keep forgiving and not grow cynical. Sometime you should should read um, 2 Timothy in one setting and just think about Paul at the end of his life, he's an old man, he's all busted up from getting beat up and shipwrecked and all the pain that he went through planting churches and at the end of his life, he's just writing to his Christian friend and he's basically saying simple things like, hey man, will you bring me my coat? Here's what you find. Even as he denounces people that are against the gospel, there's no bitterness in the guy. He's a guy that's forgiven as he's gone. And and I just want to say, any conversation about the local church and membership demands a brief conversation on forgiveness. Because you're not going to make it very long as a member of a local church without knowing that the same forgiveness that God the Father has offered you, God the Father demands that you offer others which means short accounts. Hey, forgiveness is not pretending that what people have done to you is okay. It's not sweeping stuff under the rug. It's not, it's not revisionist history where you make things sound rosy and fun. Forgiveness is, is weighing what you owed God, your crimes against God and crimes against others, and seeing what God did to pay the debt that you could never pay, and then the debts that other people owe you, you just give that to God and let him sort it you let it go. You quit demanding that other people pay you back. You're going to get failed a lot if you're a part of the local church. And, and one of the things that makes me cringe, like is how often somebody new to our church will be like, this is everything I've ever been looking for in a church. It's amazing. And, and I'm always like, oh man, this, because if you say that, I know that you're on the clock. It's usually within four days. Within four days, man, you're going to get salty with one of our pastors. You're going to get sideways with your community group. Something's going to happen within like 48 hours usually. And that's actually the providence of God to put us together so that we can fail and rub up against each other and have to learn the wonders of forgiveness and just what we've been forgiven so that we can give that to people. Number five. This is a big one especially in our cultural moment. Number five, membership in the local church gives you the gift of you not being the center of your story. You not being the center of your story. I know that you're a very special rose petal and you're so unique and so wonderful and that all human beings should revolve around you and the living God should as well. But listen to what Paul says. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Here's what Paul's saying. The thing that he's amazed about is the unsearchable riches of Christ. From whom are all things to whom are all things. Jesus, the fullness of God, the mystery hidden for ages in God. The story that Paul is caught up in is not a story where Paul is the main actor and Jesus is supporting cast. The story that Paul's caught up in is one in which God the Father is redeeming and reconciling all things through his son who has the name that's above every name. And Paul's life gets folded into this story, redefined by this story. And now all of a sudden, Paul's entire identity is not about him trying to make himself valuable or quest out worth and importance, but simply receiving the fact that God the Father sent his son for him and he's a part of the family of God. And now everything of Paul's life is centered on the gravitational core of Jesus Christ and him raised from the dead. And I just wonder, man, in our moment, like, we, we are so, like, prone towards, like, narcissism. And I know, like, we want to just say that, oh, that's a, that's a thing that some leaders struggle with. No, that's like our obsession as a culture is narcissism. Wanting everybody to revolve around us, acting like we're the center of our story, like making our social media this weird play acting thing with smoke and mirrors where we project to the world a life that is not our life. And, it, and it, it, it becomes like more concentrated if you're like a social media influencer. Like that's a very fraught, dangerous career. But that's the temptation for all of us. And membership of the local church is you're a part of preaching and teaching and liturgy and rehearsing the story of God and being invited into repentance and all of the formations, all the rhythms of formation that we get to be a part of as a church, it, it just confronts at every turn that you're not the star Jesus is. And if Jesus is the star, here's the crazy thing. We have to emulate him. And based on Philippians chapter two, that means we, we get to follow Jesus in humility and count others as more important than ourselves. Do you know what would blow the world's mind? Like, I don't think it's gonna be anytime soon before like big open air evangelistic crusades bear fruit in our country. That, that day could happen again. And um, like, I hope I get to live through another great awakening. I would be amazing. I pray for that. But I, I think some of the most powerful evangelistic traction that the local church could possibly get is just having a group of people that are not pretending that they're the star of their story that approach work and friendship and marriage as if Jesus was the center and then figured out what it meant to like count each other as more valuable than ourselves. I think that would blow the minds of a world that's watching. Sounds like something in the Bible. Um, Number six, number six. This is the most important one. Number six, the gift of the local church, and this is one that you should overtly want. You get more of the triune God. Participation in the local church, being a member in the local church means that you get to know, love, and enjoy God more deeply. Look at verse 11. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. That's the thing that blows Paul's mind. The thing that makes the local church special to Paul is not the programming. It's not the gift of the preacher. It's not how good the building is. It's not how much money they have and how big their budget is for doing stuff in the city. None of that is the stuff that Paul's amazed by. Here, here's what Paul's amazed by with the local church these are people that have been giving access to the living God, to the finished work of Jesus. They get God. And here's what this means in the local church. And I need you to hear me say this because there's so many competing messages in a city like ours about this. Membership in the local church is not about seeing your marriage as the end and membership as the means to further that end. It's not about seeing your potential as the end and membership as the means to further that end. Like the local church is like your collective life coach project. It's not about seeing the perfect family as the end and membership as the end, as the means to help you get to that end. It's not about seeing finding a spouse as the end and participation in membership as the means to further that end. No, don't, don't, get sideways with me and don't get weird about it. I hope participation as a member in the local church will help you deepen your marriage because I believe that biblical wisdom and following Jesus into a biblical marriage will make your marriage better. I believe that. It's not a guarantee it's gonna be easy, but I think it'll be deep and significant. Like I think being a part of the local church should help you as a parent to learn how to discipline your children in the fear and adoration of the Lord. I believe that. I believe for some of you, God will introduce you to to a spouse as you participate in the life of the local church. If it happened for me, it quite possibly could happen for anyone. Um, But here's the point. Here's the point. None of those things are the end. That's not why we're a part of this. The point of being a member of a local church is that you have been given access to the living God, that the treasure is Jesus. You get to be in the presence of God for all eternity and you get to enjoy the reality of that now as a follower of Jesus. He is the end, God himself. And lastly, number seven, you get to live for what really matters. Look at verse 10. Paul says that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's amazing. To be a part of the local church is to be a part of the sermon God is preaching to angels and demons that he points at and says, look at my glory, that's what I can do. My grace, my mercy, my kindness, my pursuit, my slowness to anger, my richness in love, that's what I can do. To be a part matters because the mission of God matters and the glory of God matters. So now, as we close today, we're we're starting our re-membership. We do that once a year. We invite any covenant member that wants to continue on in membership to go through the process. If you don't feel called to be a member here, we ask you to have a conversation with us about that so that we can bless you and pray for you as you go. But this is not a sales pitch for membership here. It's not. Uh, I am not gonna get bent or sideways with you if God calls you to be a member of a different local church. There's a lot of great local churches in our city that we love and pray for. So this is not about building a crowd. I don't give a rip about crowds. Crowds tend to kill people. I want to be a part of a faithful church with a faithful membership that's on mission to glorify God in our city. And, uh, If God doesn't call you to be a member here, I hope you prayerfully consider the importance of membership, not just in the capital C church, but in a messy, disillusioning group of sinners in a local church that you're accountable to, that you're a part of, that you give to, that you serve alongside, that you're not a taker from, but you're a contributing member of. And if it's not here, praise be to God, man. There's great churches in our city. There's some whack churches in our city, but there's some there's some amazing churches in our city, so I love you. I hope you hear my heart, my desires to see you formed more into the image of Jesus as you participate in His church. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the mystery of Christ Jesus. Thank you for your love and kindness. Thank you for your mercy. I pray, Lord, that you would bring healing where needed chastening were needed, encouragement and hope were needed. Pray that you would speak with us and to us. We love you. As we come to this meal, we pray, Lord, that you would knit our hearts more deeply to you, that you would feed us on your grace, that you would help us to repent and to receive new mercies today. Help us to fight for each other, to love each other, Let our words and deeds be for the building up of your body, not the tearing down of your body. Help us to protect the unity that you've purchased. Pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.